So tonight's reading is Exodus chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 13, and then we're going to skip a bit, and we're going to go to verse 29 to 36. We're reading from the ESV, so if you're not reading the ESV, it might be a bit different, but try and follow along as best you can. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Then verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herd, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Let's, uh, Let's pray as we begin. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Thank you, Father, for what we've seen in this book, that you make your name known. 
And we pray that as we think on these next chapters, you would help us to know you better. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder, Q&A is going to follow after this, so uh, the numbers behind me, do text uh, in if you've got any questions as I go along, and uh, we'd seek to answer those a bit later. Now, when you look at what the Bible says about Christians, it's absolutely staggering. See, the Bible doesn't just call Christians followers or servants or subjects, but it calls Christians children. And um, you'll know from the Lord's Prayer, which uh, Hannah explained to us last week, that the first line calls God Father, our Father. It's pretty big, isn't it, to call God Father? That's not a kind of obvious thing. But I'm guessing if any of us have been Christian, or perhaps we're looking into the Christian faith, that actually to feel like that isn't always straightforward. Uh, We might believe that uh, the gospel's real, that Jesus came, he died, he rose. But actually, on a Wednesday, in the middle of college or when we're at work, to believe that we're really God's children can be a lot more difficult. And perhaps during this pandemic, when you've been sat at home uh, with nothing but your thoughts, it is hard to hold on to the fact that God is our Father and that you, in Jesus, are his children But our passage this evening is all about showing us that God really has made us his children. It's all about what it takes for God to make us his children, for us to be able to call him Father. Uh, The passage, it deals with three things. It deals with the problem, uh, uh, it deals with a solution, and then we're going to see finally how it helps. So we're going to see our problem, God's solution, God's solution rather, and how it helps. See, what's the problem uh, in this passage? Well, remember what we've seen over the last few weeks. What was our first object? Chains. Well, we're learning. Good, good, good. Chains. And that symbolized slavery. Good. Yeah, we need a bit of warming up tonight. There we go. Um, And then we saw Bernie Bush, yeah. Let's turn that on. And that was about God making his... Oh, goodness me. This is crazy. Right, um, we'll get some gardening gloves. (laughs) Okay, and then we saw last week, uh, is this it, Tim? What's this about? Broom handle? What's the broom handle about? Staff, yes, yes. So we saw the plagues, didn't we, Uh, and a staff. And um, I'm not going to tell you what the object is this week. We'll find out in a moment. But what's the big problem we see in Exodus? Well, if we remember back, we might think it's slavery. The big problem is that they're enslaved by Pharaoh. And, of course, that is a big problem. But actually, in these chapters, we see the problem gets a whole lot worse. See, in um, the plagues we saw last week, which Tim took us through, actually, they're very different to what happens this week. See, in those uh, plagues, uh, you've got uh, God promise a plague. Moses would go to Pharaoh with his staff, and he would threaten the plague, and then the plague would come, and then Pharaoh would beg him uh, to take the plague away, and that would happen. But this plague's different, because Moses isn't doing it. He announces it, but we see that actually God is doing it. Uh, 11 verse 4 tells us that uh, I will come and bring this plague. 
thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. So this plague's quite different, but it's also different for another reason, in that God uh, makes a distinction in a very different way. What do I mean by that? Well, all the other plagues, God kind of distinguished, he separated between Egypt and Israel. And so there were loads of flies everywhere, but they weren't flies with Israel. And there were loads of hails, hails, is that a word? Uh, there was hail uh, all over the place, but not in Israel. And dark, the same for darkness and light. But notice that this plague is very different because everyone is going to be affected. Have a look at um, chapter 12, verse 12. Here's what it says. This is God speaking. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute my judgments. Now, notice what God's saying. I will strike all the firstborn. Not just one little group, not just the Egyptians, not just human beings, but all the firstborn beasts or animals as well. And so, like a kind of huge wave, God's judgment is going to sweep into the land and it's going to affect all people. Now, what is that judgment? Well, God is going to take the life of the firstborn, which is a pretty scary judgment, isn't it? I wonder if, um, I hope this isn't too weird, but if we could stand up if we are the firstborn in our family, just to gauge numbers. Pretty big, isn't it? I'm standing because I'm firstborn as well. Yeah, you can sit down now. But you get the picture, don't you? All the firstborn would uh, be dead. But not the girls, yeah, I think someone's saying. So it was just the firstborn son, but ask me about that afterwards. So the problem here is not just Pharaoh. It's not just that we uh, find the people are in slavery. Actually, there's a bigger problem, isn't there? And that is when God comes to be with them. See, a lot of us imagine that kind of we can kind of sworn into, uh, uh, waltz into God's presence and everything would be fine. But actually, the Bible shows us that none of us can do that. Why not? Well, because of what we see right back at the beginning of the Bible. See, back in the Garden of Eden, God says to Adam, if you eat from the tree, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so anyone who sins, who breaks God's command ever since that point, well, they too will surely die. That's why you see in the Bible lots of times when people encounter God, they, they're terrified because they might die. It's a bit like um, the sun. We, um, not the newspaper, the, um, the planetary, or whatever it is, <laughs> star, that's the word, star. Um, it's like the sun. I mean, we love it, don't we? We look forward to it on a, on a summer's uh, day. But actually, if you're to stare into it uh, unprotected, well, it'll burn your eyes out. And if you're to walk into it unprotected, well, yeah, it's uh, not pretty. And it's a bit like that here. See, to encounter God without our sin being dealt with, well, that equals death. See, God is showing us that actually the problem is far bigger. We may have grown up in a Christian family, and that is a great thing. Uh, we may have grown up always knowing God's there, and that is a terrific blessing. But we mustn't forget that all of us, without anything that Jesus does, would face death. But of course, that's not it. We see, secondly, the solution. Uh, God says um, to, for the families to take a lamb. Now, Rob read this out to us. Here's our lamb here. 
It's pretty cute, isn't it? And they're to take it into their house uh, on the 10th day. This is pretty sharp. What is it with Fiona and sharp things? It's crazy. <laughs> and uh, maybe she doesn't want people touching her stuff. Um, it's, uh, thanks, Fiona, for bringing it, by the way. Uh, they're to take the lamb into the house on the 10th day. They're to keep it to the 14th day. So essentially, it becomes a pet. You can imagine the kids getting very friendly with it and uh, giving it a name and that sort of thing. And then on the 14th day, what are they to do? Well, let me give you a clue. Just bear with me a second. I mean, this is going to do nothing, but it looks like I'm trying to look after the carpet. <laughs> On the 14th, I didn't want to bring a proper knife. It looked too sinister, so I've gone for a bread knife. I hope that's okay. I don't get any complaints. So on the 14th day, they're to take that lamb and slaughter it at twilight. Just bear with me again. Sorry, Fiona. Oh, don't struggle. There we go. Oh, no. There we go. Job done. And then... They're to take some of this blood that uh, they've drained from the lamb, and they're to... I'm so nervous doing this. There we go. (laughs) Paint it on the doorpost. Of the house. Oh, goodness. No one saw that. (laughs) Now, why do that whole ritual? Well, God says that he's going to come into the land and he's going to bring judgment. But when he sees the blood on the doorpost, he will pass over that house. Hence the name Passover. And so everyone faces judgment. But there's only one thing that makes a difference. It's whether there's blood on the door frames or not. See, have a look at 12 verse 30 uh, and see what happens. It's utterly terrifying uh, when we read it. Again, I can't turn the pages because my hands are so cold. 12 verse 30. Pharaoh rose up that night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. It's a pretty terrifying scene, isn't it? To think that there was no house where someone wasn't dead. But what that means is that actually death came to each house. Either the firstborn son died, or either the lamb died. There was not a house where there wasn't death. Now, I guess a lot of us hear this in the 21st century, and we think, what is this about? I mean, painting blood, or tomato ketchup on door frames, and that sort of thing, that is completely strange. But it's showing us, isn't it, how God makes his children. How God redeems us is the Bible's word for this. How he brings us into his family. It's not automatic. It's not down to kind of our background, our race, our nationality. It's not down to our family. It's not down to how well we do at school. It's down to one thing, and that is the blood of a lamb. So if you have the blood on the door frames, death doesn't come to you. And of course, this is showing us, isn't it, 
about Jesus and why he is so important. See, um, Luke uh, chapter 22 uh, talks about the Passover, but it's a Passover that's celebrated a long time after. And here's what uh, Luke says. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, Jesus uh, has a meal with his, final, uh, with his friends on his final uh, week, and um, it's a Passover meal. But as you read it, you realize there's no Passover lamb there. He seems absent. But that is because the Passover lamb is actually Jesus. Here's what Jesus says at that meal. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. See, God is getting us to understand how it is we become his children. It's not through our works, not through what we can do. It is through the death of a lamb. And of course, we don't sacrifice lambs like that because we have Jesus, the true lamb, who has painted the blood on our door frames so that we need not face judgment. Now, a lot of us, I think, can quite often, me included, get confused about what Christianity is about, but here is really what it is about at the real simple level. It is not about our performance, our background, whether we go to church or whether we're good or whether we do well or whether we feel like a Christian or not. It is about one thing. Do we trust in the blood of Jesus? Because if we do, well, it's like the lamb being slain and his blood being poured on the house. We're safe from the judgment that God will bring. Now, I guess some of us might think that that just sounds a little bit kind of removed from my everyday experience. I mean, when I'm at college on a Wednesday, this kind of just seems a world away. But finally, we see here that actually this helps us today. How does it help us? Well, because this whole thing is not just meant to be a one-off event. It is designed to be remembered. I don't know how good you are at remembering things. I'm terrible. I have to set notifications for everything. I have to tell Alexa to breathe, uh, tell me to breathe, and, you know, pretty much everything I have to have a reminder for. Uh, That's because I don't remember things very well, and God seems to know that about his people because he doesn't want them to forget this lesson. Each year, as we saw in Luke, they're to celebrate the Passover. They're uh, They're to kill a lamb, they're to eat the lamb, Uh, There's a bit uh, they do with bread as well, but I won't go into detail now. And there's a bit they do with their firstborn children. Now, why do they do that? Well, look at what chapter 13, 14 says about it. Chapter 13, verse 14. And when in time, uh, and when in time to come to your son, sorry, I can't read that. When your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Do you see the point? Um, This is meant to remind the children, the people that come after this first event, that God has redeemed them. So you can imagine a kind of Jewish family sitting around eating this lamb, and they ask mum and dad, what's it about? And they say, well, it reminds us that God has bought us at a price. He's paid for us. He's made us his children by the death of a lamb. And that is the same for every single Christian. We look back, of course, not to a lamb like this, but to the true lamb. We look back to the cross 
Because as we do look back to the cross, we see there the penalty of death has been paid. There's no debt kind of outstanding. We can meet God and be absolutely confident, not because of ourselves, but because the Lamb has died in our place. I wonder what you see when you see the cross. I I guess for some of us, it might just be quite confusing. Why does God use this kind of barbaric uh, method? Why the blood? Why the sacrifice? Why the death? But actually, as we look at the Passover, we see, don't we, why it had to be that way, why the lamb had to die in our place. I guess for others of us, even though we're Christian, we might still doubt whether God really loves us, whether we can really call him our father, whether we really can be considered his children. And I guess we start looking at ourselves and start thinking about how we feel, but that's looking in the wrong place. See, the only reason we're God's children is because the lamb has died. And so look back to the cross if we doubt. And if we're ever tempted to think that God loves us because we're something special, let us remember the only reason is because the Lamb has died in our place. Let's pray as we finish. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being honest with us about the problem we all face. But thank you, Father, for your grace in not letting us face death without your help. Thank you, Father, for providing the Lamb, and thank you for providing the Lord Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. And we pray for all of us, Father, that we would understand that more and more as a result of what we've seen. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Cracking. So um, to give you a couple more minutes to text in your question, we're just going to have a little bit of time now. Um, I don't know how you're finding lockdown, but I've definitely got Zoom fatigue and I'm just missing hanging out with people. Um, I'm really grateful that I actually get to meet Sarah and we go on walks and chat. Um, But if you haven't met her, then this is your chance um, to get to know her a little bit better. Um, How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. (laughs) Great. How's your week been? Um, Yeah, not bad, thank you. So I've been on night shifts this week, so I'm a bit sleepy and uh, this week has just been a bit backwards. Um, you speak about night shifts. Um, what do you do? So I'm a midwife at Basingstoke Hospital. Um, I moved to Basingstoke from Cambridge in September, and I've been working ever since, pretty much. Cracking. Um, and so what brought you to Basingstoke, apart from your job? Yes, so I'm uh, not completely new. So I was here when I was younger, and my parents were here for many years. Um, it's sort of their home church. Um, St. Mary supported them when they were missionaries in Tanzania, so they were there for about 10, 11 years. Um, and then we came back, um, so we originally grew up there, and then we, they, they went into full-time ministry. So we've been moving ever since, and yeah, my dad's a pastor, so just lots of moving around. That's great. Um, and it sounds like you were obviously born into a Christian family, but that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily make you a Christian. So why are you standing here? Why are you a Christian? Yeah, so obviously brought up in a Christian household. Um, and yeah, I've found that it's just been a blessing to be surrounded by Christian parents who they continue to support me and they've always been encouraging. Um, so I always had a belief in God and I knew that he was my saviour. Um, but around when I was about 16... I sort of had some like personal struggles and I kind of began to think that 
life's not really adding up to how I thought it would be. Um, and yeah, I was just quite overwhelmed and anxious. And then over sort of a few years, I think God really taught me patience and perseverance. And I came to realize that it's him who is our refuge and it's only him who, yeah, will, will make it okay for us. Um, and yeah, that was a testing time. Um, and then I did some mission trips in Tanzania and I really enjoyed the fellowship with other people and it made me realize how important that was. Um, and yeah, I just realized I needed to live my life for God and I needed to start serving him. Um, and it's not about, you know, our actions and how good of a Christian we are, but it's his grace that um, is just always there. Um, and I think there's the misconception that, you know, our mistakes and our sins will deter him more. But the Bible actually says that he draws near to us um, well, as sinners and sufferers. So that is just down to grace. So that's really amazing. That's really useful, Sarah. Thanks. And I guess that's what we've just been, well, Joe's just been saying for us, um, his mercy is more, which is really encouraging. Um, so you became a Christian then. Um, obviously, it's not always that easy. What does like lockdown life look like for you at the moment, um, especially being a Christian? Yeah, so I think someone a few weeks ago in an interview was saying about how they're really thriving in this time and they're... Mm -hmm. Yeah, enjoying the free time. Um, I think I sort of find it the opposite. Um, I think it's quite hard to like, keep yourself accountable um, when you're not seeing people as much. Um, and I think when life's kind of, you're enjoying it more and you've got a lot on, um, you can be like, thankful to God. Um, and when you're struggling, it's much easier to cry out to him. But when life's quite mediocre, as it is at the moment, I think that's when I find it hard mm. to talk to him and to read the word. Um, so, yeah, it is a testing time. It um, is. Yeah, and I guess that's really encouraging why we've got church family um, yes. to sort of do it together with. That's really useful. Um, I feel like we've hopefully got to know Sarah a little bit better, and I'm sure that she's always game for a chat if you want to get to know her a bit better. Um, so hopefully that has given you enough time to text in your questions. So hopefully um, Robert and Erin are going to enlighten us into a bit more of this lamb situation. Fantastic. Well, um, if you want to keep sending in questions um, now, if you think of them, um, go for it. I'll just spring them on Rob and um, see what he says. Um, Great, so first question that came in. Quote, there was not a house without someone dead. What about families that only had daughters? Um, thank you for your questions. <laughs> I did sort of set myself up for this one. Um, so just, just a word on that verse. So uh, the reason I picked up on it, 12 verse 30, is... Um, I mean, basically, the English translation is great, and we can trust it entirely. Uh, but the way that kind of reads in the original isn't quite as it's put there, because it, it kind of assumes someone, someone being a person, and, and it's more the sense of their death had kind of touched every house, if that makes sense. So whether it was an animal or, or a, a, a lamb or a human, that's, that's the point. Um, so it's more of a general, no one escaped. Everyone kind of got ta um, a taste of death 
uh, but as we see in the Lamb, uh, died in the place of the Israelites. Um, with, oh, I, I don't know, basically. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bit of a cop-out. But you have got me thinking, because, um, yeah, the reason it's the firstborn son is because back in chapter um, uh, chapter four twenty-two, um, we're told that Israel is considered God's firstborn son. Now, God's not kind of being sexist there. Uh, the firstborn son was kind of the, the most special son. Um, they got double the inheritance. They looked after the family line. And so it's basically a way of God saying they're special. Um, and so that's why it seems to be the firstborn son who dies in the plague. As for the other houses, I'm not sure. But give me, let me have some thought on that. You've got me thinking, so I'll come back to you. Maybe next week, you'll remember. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, So the the next question that comes in, uh, chapter 9, verse 20 says, so this is the seventh plague with with the hail. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and livestock into the houses, uh, implying that there were some Egyptians who feared God. So when it says there was not a house where someone was not dead, does this mean those Egyptians didn't fear the Lord anymore? I guess... Wow, if, these are good if they did, what happened? Yeah, these are really good questions, and thank you for listening so well um, and trying to wrestle with it, uh, as we all are. Um, yeah, just again on that verse, doesn't mean somebody, it means death touched every house. Uh, yeah, it doesn't say explicitly, you're right. Um, actually, some of the Egyptians feared the Lord and they were saved, but there is a very big hint. Um, so have a look at chapter 12, verse 38. Um, where it says, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And I'm 90% sure that's talking about even some Egyptians. So it does seem that actually even an Egyptian that trusted and put themselves with God's people uh, were saved on that night. Nice. So does that mean the Egyptian? Sorry, I'm just kind of adding to this. So does that mean the Egyptians would have had to go through the whole Passover ritual the same way as the Israelites? Yes, exactly. So um, in chapter 13, um, God kind of widens the scope. He doesn't just say it's for the Israelites. Uh, He says that actually um, people from other nations can join in this um, festival, but they're to be circumcised, which was the kind of uh, mark of being part of God's people. So absolutely, it wasn't just Israel, um, but other nations could be part of God's people as well. And wonderfully, we are in Jesus um, where the gospel goes out to the whole world. Fantastic. Uh, Brilliant. Um, 